Hear from the word of the Lord, 1 Timothy 1. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, Christians, what else can we do with this amazing truth that Christ came to save the worst of sinners, but to turn it back to praise? So let us sing out, wake the neighbors, fill your home, and tell them that God is King. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Unresting, unresting, unhasting, and silent as a light. No wanting, no wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, high soaring above. Thy clouds, which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small. In all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree and wither and perish, but not change at thee. Great Father, great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thy angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, oh, help us to see. Tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. And all praise, all praise we would render. Oh, help us to see. Tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. We just sang of God's glory, that he is the Father of light. You know, one of the many things my wife and I enjoy about living here in New Mexico is getting up and then watching the sun come up and literally bathe the whole state in light and warmth. Well, when Jesus comes again, when we see him face to face, his light, the warmth and glory of his presence will far surpass that of our own sun. This is the first time that you've joined us for an online service of Desert Springs Church. Welcome. I would ask that sometime today you check out our website. You can find that at dscabq.com. Once you go there, click on that red banner at the top. That'll take you to recent sermons as well as some 
emails and podcasts that we've done during this COVID-19 crisis. That'll be a great way for you to learn about our church. And then I'd also ask that you send us an email. So let us know what you thought of the service. Ask us some questions about church. And you can do that by emailing info at dscabq.com. I'd like to read part of Psalm 33. Uh, later this morning, we'll be studying, looking at Psalm 92. Psalm 92 starts with singing to the Lord with stringed instruments. And then it ends with acknowledging and declaring that God is our rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 33 has a few of those elements. I'll read the first five verses. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Please pray with me. We'll pray for our service. Father, we want to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Father, help us to sing with joy, accompanied by, in this case, one instrument of strings, one modern-day harp or lyre. Help us to sing about how good you are. We thank you that you sent your Son to save us, as we'll sing later, from guilt and darkness and the grave. Father, help us to see your steadfast love in Psalm 92 in this service. Help us to see that you bless people. You bless us not because of our goodness, but because we cling to the goodness of Christ. May we sing later with joy these words. You have lifted up my head, poured out on me your grace, for Christ became my sacrifice and suffered in my place. He conquered all my enemies when he rose from the grave. Father, help us to sing of the glories of Jesus. Help us to see him as our rock and our righteousness. Teach us and renew us through song and sermon in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's once again fix our hearts, our minds, and our voices on his redeeming love. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Hitherto thy love has blessed me. 
You have brought me to this place And I know that hand will bring me Safely home by thy good grace Jesus on me when strange, Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from danger Interposed his precious blood. By grace alone, and oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a better, by my want heart to thee, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 praise our God. And on that day, and on that day, when freed from sin, I shall see thy lovely face. And then when clothed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. And come, my Lord, no longer tarry, take my ransom soul away. Send thy angels now to carry me to realms of endless day. Let's continue to repeat his mercies in song. Give to our God immortal praise. Mercy and truth are all his ways. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Give to the Lord. Give to the Lord of Lords renown, the King of Kings with glory crown. His mercies ever shall endure when lords and kings are known no more. Wonders, wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in his mercies ever shall endure when death and sin shall reign no more. Oh, when death and sin shall reign no more. He saw that we were dead in sin, and there his pity worked within. His mercies ever shall endure 
when death and sin shall reign no more. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. His mercies ever shall endure. When death and sin shall reign no more. Oh, when death and sin shall reign no more. He sent his son with power to save from guilt and darkness and the grave. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Repeat his mercies in your song. Wonders of grace to him belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. His mercies ever shall endure. When death and sin shall reign no more. Oh, when death and sin shall reign no more. Let's listen to Matthew chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 25 through 33 of Matthew chapter 6. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add an hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is my Father's world And to my listening ear All nature sings And around me rings The music of the spheres this is my Father's world, I rest me in the thought 
breathes his promised peace, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world, though thorns and thistles grow. Held fast in faith, I watch and wait his mercies to behold. This is my Father's world, He shines in all that's fair. In rustling grass I hear Him pass, He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied. Earth and happy one. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied. And earth and happy one. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we are thankful that this is your world, your creation, especially in these times which seem chaotic, uncertain, filled with upheaval. Lord, we are comforted afresh that all this is in your hands. These are your days. This is your world. These are your circumstances. We trust you. We pray, Lord, that in these strange days, they wouldn't be lost on us, we wouldn't miss the opportunity that we have in these trials. So may our eyes continue to be on you. May you grow us, Lord. May you prune us. May you wean us off of that which, well, whatever we need weaning from. We commit our lives to you. We commit our bodies to you. We commit our souls to you. And we thank you, Lord, that you promise to watch over all of us, body and soul. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word this morning, and we pray this in Christ's strong and saving name. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Psalm 92. And let me encourage you to keep that passage open this morning as we study it together. Oh, how we need God's word. I hope you feel that. I hope you know that. I hope you know exactly why we would turn to 1 Timothy 1 and Psalm 33 and Matthew uh, 6 and now Psalm 92. We need God's word. Like a multifaceted diamond that shimmers as you turn it, the Bible has a multifaceted beauty to it. We have instruction in the Bible. We have history and we have poetry and song. And this big book in the middle of our Bibles, the Psalms, they are songs. 
And sometimes they are songs that are very real and earthy as they wrestle through the pains of this world and give us examples of bringing those worries before a good God. And sometimes the psalms are very lofty and they provide us something to aim for. Martin Luther said, where can one find nobler words to express joy than in the psalms of praise? In them you can see into the hearts of saints as if you were looking at a lovely pleasure garden or gazing into heaven itself. How fair and charming and delightful are the flowers you will find there in the psalms. Well, we've been studying Psalms 90 to 100 in recent weeks. And as we've said before, these psalms go together. Uh, in some ways, that's true of any section of uh, any part of the psalms. There are psalms before, there are psalms after. We should always keep that in mind. But Psalms 90 to 100, that's especially true there. And Psalms 90 to 92 specifically, they go together even more. They work like an introduction to the rest of that section. Psalms 93 to 100 are often referred to as enthronement psalms because they celebrate God's reign. Well, Psalms 90 to 92 sort of set that up. There are about a dozen or more verbal connections shared in those first three psalms of this section. Uh, words that are too rare or specialized to be just coincidental. And there's also a progression of sorts from Psalm 90 to 91 to 92. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, then you can just look down in your Bibles and remember previous sermons, and you can identify this progression yourself. I'll just point it out. Remember Psalm 90, that Psalm of Moses, it lamented death, and it voiced some requests to God. Well, Psalm 91, remember, was a psalm of assurance, recounting the promises of God for the people of God, promises of his protection and care. And now Psalm 92 is a psalm of thanks and praise to God for what he has done and what he will do. So what Psalm 90 lamented and asked for, and what Psalm 91 promised to us, Psalm 92 now celebrates. Let's read it together. Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, at the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. 
My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Well, before we get into the contours of this psalm, let's just notice the heading. It's a song for the Sabbath, it says. And this is the only psalm with a heading about the Sabbath. That's a bit of a head-scratcher, since the psalms really made up Israel's hymnal. And so we can imagine that they would sing many of the psalms on any given Sabbath. And further head-scratching is that there's nothing within Psalm 92 that's necessarily Sabbath-related. But let's remember the big picture of this thing, the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath in many ways goes back to creation, where God created this creation over six days, and on the seventh day he rested. He rested. He Sabbathed. That's what Sabbath means, to rest. Fast forward, and we find this Sabbath as the fourth of the Ten Commandments. God commanded Israel to work six days, but on the seventh day they must rest. A day without work, but also a day with worship. And then you fast forward to the coming of Christ, and Jesus picks up that language of rest and applies it to himself, inferring that we must now rest in him. He said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The writer of Hebrews takes it even further and clarifies that the Sabbath of the Old Testament it all along was like a, an analogy for salvation. It was a type, we call it, or a, a foreshadow, which Jesus fulfills. So the Sabbath that now remains in what we call the new covenant is that we rest in Jesus for salvation. It's a picture of the gospel where we abandon our efforts, our work toward salvation, and we rest in Jesus' finished work in his life and death and resurrection. So there's no longer any special day for worship, you might ask? No, there is. But the day got bumped from the seventh day now to the first day, from Saturday to now Sunday. And this shift reflects what we have in Jesus. We have a whole new thing. It's a new beginning. A new beginning tied to his resurrection. He rose on Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday. And Christians have been celebrating that, that resurrection weekly ever since those earliest weeks post his resurrection. They very quickly began calling it the Lord's Day. So that's some of what we should have in mind as we, as Christians specifically, come to Psalm 92 and find the heading, a song for the Sabbath. And now we'll move through the psalm under four different headings. Notice verses 1 to 3 
tell us that the praise of God is good. You see, verses 1 to 3 speak of giving thanks and singing praises and declaring to God. All synonyms for praise. And all this is good, it says. In fact, it is more than just good, at least as we use that word good in the English language. How do we use that word good? Well, it's one of the most overused and blah words there is. Food can be good, but that usually means it's good, not great. People ask you, how are you? And you say rather thoughtlessly, as I do, good. Not spectacularly good, just good. You had a good day yesterday, you might say. If something is still usable, you say it's still good. Milk that isn't spoiled is still good. In basketball, if the basket doesn't count, it was no good. Or the field goal, it's good. You get my point? But the Hebrew word behind this word good in verse 1 is tov. And that is way more rich and significant than our English word good. It's what God said about his creation in Genesis 1 and 2. It was all very good tov. And the word is variously translated in the rest of the Old Testament with words like beautiful, pleasing, best, or right. So if you're a note taker and you've already wrote down that first point, the praise of God is good. Well, that's good. But let me encourage you just to add some words after good. In other words, you might add right, fitting, attractive. So to give thanks to God, to sing his praises, to declare true things about him, it's all Tov, it's right, it's fitting, attractive, it's beautiful, it's pleasing. It's morally right, it's appropriate and fitting in light of who he is and what he's done. It's a proper response to, well, verse 2, your steadfast love, his covenantal love. That love that originates from within himself in his undeserved and unchanging. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Often these two phrases go together. Steadfast love and faithfulness. When Moses asked God in Exodus to reveal his glory and to know more about him, to to see more, God let him see a little something. But he also revealed his, what we call his longer name, his fullest name. And it says this, as the Lord passed by and proclaimed, Exodus 34, verse 6, God said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, here it is, steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression And sin. So let us not just hear that as God's longer name 
Let's not just know that that is God's longer name or that he is like this. Think through how he's like this and how he's shown this. From Exodus 34 on, how has God shown forth his steadfast love and faithfulness? We should ponder that. He has shown it and demonstrated it in countless and diverse ways. When you need some help in pondering what he's done, you might want to go to what we call historical psalms. Psalm 78, Psalm 105, 106, 135, 136. These will give you some data points on God's steadfast love and faithfulness from which you can then give thanks and sing and declare. That is right, it's fitting, it's proper, it is utterly appropriate. It's even beautiful and pleasing and attractive. And do this morning and night. Verse 2, in the morning and by night. Now, many take those phrases literally and begin their day and end their day in prayer. That's not a bad habit at all. But morning and night, more likely, just encapsulates the whole day. It means praise him all day. And do this, at times, to music, verse 3. To the music of the lute and harp and the melody of the lyre. We don't know for sure what these instruments looked like or how they sounded, but obviously they're instruments. And so God's ways are not just known to us, believed by us, occasionally rehearsed by us, recalled to mind, but they are celebrated and celebrated in song. God has made us to do this. You go to any culture across the globe, and they have their music and their songs. Styles vary widely, but the making of sounds and the overlay of words, it's just in us, just like the angels do as well. Now, among us human beings, sadly, that instinct for music and song can be twisted to celebrate, well, to celebrate false gods or to celebrate sinful behavior. But its basic presence, its basic instinct, and its universal existence is undeniable. And at its best, at its most right, at its most beautiful version, is when we give thanks and praise to God in song supported by music. That's what we've done again this morning. It's what we do together as a church. Sadly, in these days, we can't all do it together in the same room as we normally would. And so we thank the Lord for what we have been able to do this morning, for being led by Drew and his guitar, and by singing together in our living rooms as families. All this is Still, under these unusual circumstances, it is still right and good and beautiful and fitting and appropriate. Our God hasn't changed, and his praise still remains. And of course, we should all the more long for that day when we get to do it together. Psalm 92 should stir in us 
a longing for that day, whenever it is, and that day when we meet together to sing God's praises together, it will be right, good, beautiful, fitting. Well, the psalmist goes on to give us further rationale for the good praise that he described in the first three verses. Verses 4 and 5 tell us about the works of God, which are great. The works of God are great. And notice the word for at the beginning of verse 4, telling us that there's more reason here, more rationale for the praise to which we're invited in verses 1 through 3. Verse 4, you, O Lord, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Verse 5, how great are your works, O Lord, and your thoughts are very deep. He ponders God's works and thoughts, and these are what have caused him to give thanks, to sing praises, and to declare in the morning and at night. You might wonder, as I did, what works the psalmist might have had in mind here. Perhaps works of creation at the beginning of time. Perhaps God's works of redemption, like those spectacular things that happen in Exodus when he redeemed his people. Or perhaps more generally, works of salvation and judgment, which will be unpacked in the rest of this psalm. Notice the psalmist doesn't say which works he has in mind, which is convenient to us because we can ponder any of God's works drawn from elsewhere in the Bible, like I said, maybe those historic psalms, or really at any point in history, even outside the Bible. We know God works, and he even works in our own lives. He's at work today. He's done marvelous things for you some of which you've been thankful for and you recognize, some of which you don't even know. Well, we can take all that and insert it here, thanking God for his work. As Christians, how much more can we say than the psalmist says here? Because so much more has happened since this psalm was written whenever it was written. God has done more. God has shown more. God's works can be known and celebrated, and his thoughts, well, those thoughts can't be known unless he tells us his thoughts. And so the psalmist here just relishes in the depths of God's inscrutable thoughts. Your thoughts are very deep. These deep thoughts of God, mysterious and unknown, Make us glad. You have made me glad. This is why he sings. And what a contrast this would be with the worship of the pagan gods in ancient Near East. Those people worshipped, let me use finger quotes there, they worshipped their gods because they thought their gods were capricious, and had short tempers, and might fly off the handle at any given minute, so you better appease them with sacrifices. Not the God of the Bible. 
not the God of the Bible, who he's just oozing with steadfast love and, and faithfulness and consistency. We give thanks to him because he's kind, not in hopes that our praise would ward off his capricious anger. No. And consider some of the alternatives to what the psalmist here is describing, not just the worship of the pagan gods in the ancient Near East, but there are people who don't know, and hence they can't praise. We'll come to them in just a little bit here. But there are people who know. They know some things about God, some true things about God. Maybe they're even Christians. And maybe they've gotten out of the habit of remembering, of recounting, of pondering, of listing. Or perhaps they know, perhaps occasionally something comes to mind, and they're not moved by it. It doesn't make them glad. They don't sing about it. And if that's you, that last category, or maybe I could say, when that's you, when, when that's you, you just grab hold of that little sentence in verse 4, I sing for joy. You see, in the Psalms, we see both singing in joy and singing for joy. With the former, you sing because you have joy, and with the latter, you sing because you lack joy, and you need joy, and you sing to stir up joy. It's, it's not a math equation where if you sing, you get joy. It doesn't work quite like that. But there is something in God's providence. He's put it in us. There is something where singing can spark things and turn things and sharpen things and clarify things. And, 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 you know, it churns the butter in our hearts sometimes. Ideally, a Sunday morning would go something like this. You wake up and you leap out of bed and your heart is full for God and you immediately begin speaking to him and you can't wipe the smile off your face. And as you go downstairs to share a bit of breakfast with the family, you speak of him and you speak of him radiantly and you jump into song even if you begin off key. Who cares because God is great and greatly to be praised the ride to the church building, back in days when we used to do such things, the ride, is, there's no fighting, it's just all happy, it's glorious, you're singing maybe southern gospel or something fun like that. You come into the church building and you see people and boy, it's, it's, it's from good to great, it's cloud nine. And it, from the first song, you feel like you're practically in heaven or like heaven has come down. That's the ideal. But most Sundays aren't like that. Most Sundays don't go that way. And sometimes you're in the fourth song in and your heart feels like it is on the ground and your mind is elsewhere with distraction what do you do? Well, confess that distraction to the Lord. 
confess whatever sin might be there, ask for his help, and keep singing. You sing for joy. To not fight to do this would be to miss out on what is good and right and beautiful and fitting. And to fully reject all this stuff of praise, well, that would just be stupid. That's the word that's used. Or, or senseless. So now thirdly, we see the rejection of God is senseless. Verses 6 to 9. These verses address those who won't own up to the right and fitting acknowledgement of their creator. Verse 6, the stupid man can't know. The fool cannot understand this. Now this is not making fun of those with slower intelligence. Now the fool in the Bible is one who rejects God and his ways deliberately and stubbornly. And so he's stupid, not regarding IQ, he's stupid in a spiritual sense. He's spiritually senseless. It literally means that he or she is brutish, animal-like. You have similar language in Psalm 32, which explains it. I will instruct you and teach you, God says, in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now, don't be horse-like or mule-like. You can't reason with horses. You must tug on something in their mouths. While those in Psalm 92 are like horses and mules without spiritual understanding who can't be reasoned with. And yet it is a willful ignorance on their part. It's willful. It's not that they're innocently ignorant. No, they're fools. They're called, in verse 7, wicked and evildoers. Now, it is true, it says it at face value, that apart from God's grace, they can't know, they can't understand. But what is not said here and is true on the whole of Scripture is that they're still culpable or blamable, responsible. They don't want to know him. They don't want to admit what they know, what they do know about God. Even if it is only from the testimony of creation and their conscience. Even if it is apart from any mention of the scriptures or any reading of its pages. What they do know about God, even from creation or conscience, they reject it. Or in the language of Romans 1, they suppress it. Chapter 1, verse 18 of Romans, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And Paul goes on in verse 20. God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, and he's referring to everyone, they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. In other words, idols. So that sheds some light on Psalm 92, doesn't it? Their spiritual senselessness is willful. They don't want to know how God's works are great. They don't want to know how God's thoughts are very deep. They don't want to acknowledge that, verse 7, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. Their outlook on life emphasizes the here and the now rather than the later, the eventual. They, they assess things according to what can be seen instead of what's unseen. They judge life on what appears to be life-giving and life-living and what is good. What's the good life? Well, it's sprouting up. The wicked often do prosper, don't they? We've observed that. It's in the Bible. The wicked often prosper. They sprout up like grass or weeds, it can be. But it's not lasting. It grows up and it withers. Verse 9, they shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. In contrast, to the eternal God. Verse 8, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. Now that verse, verse 8, sits in the dead middle of the psalm. There are 52 Hebrew words before verse 8 and 52 Hebrew words after it. Coincidence? Probably not. Lord, capital L-O-R-D, or Yahweh, is used three times before verse 8 and three times after. Probably not coincidental. Hebrew poetry can sometimes do that sort of thing in order to direct our attention to what is key, what is central. So don't get lost in the weeds here. If you want to know what is most central to the psalm, there it is in verse 8. You, O Lord, are on high forever. You must get that. You must receive that. You must begin to embrace that if you haven't. And if I can just say this lovingly, it's senseless for you to pretend to ignore him. It is senseless for you to pretend that there won't be a final reckoning for you before this God. It is senseless for you to live like you'll live forever or like this life is all that matters. Don't be stupid. Don't be foolish. You got to know that even if the whole world could think of you as quintessentially successful, nice, good, you know, winning at life, you could still be among God's enemies. 
heading towards eternal destruction. But you also should know you don't have to stay there. You don't have to remain in your willful ignorance. You can begin to understand and recognize and even enjoy and even praise God for the fact that he is on high forever, that he is a God of great works, deep thoughts, a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, let me describe to you what it's like to live like one who's come to understand that, to to live under under that kind of God. And then I'll tell you how you can get in on it if you're not. But fourth, we come to the people of God, and they are blessed. The last six verses tell us the people of God are blessed. Here's what it looks like when you worship God like this. Well, look look first at verses 12 to 14, where you get this multi-metaphor description. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. You see the contrast this is with the foolish way and with the senseless people? You see, those people, those who don't get it and refuse to own up to it, Oh, they might sprout up like a weed and eventually be scattered. But God's people, those under his steadfast love, they flourish like the palm tree. And a palm tree lasts a really long time. Multi-human generations. Palm trees are hardy and sturdy. And they grow well in harsh conditions. God's people are like that. They grow like a cedar. And cedars, from what I understand, continue to grow throughout their entire lifespan. So with both of these tree pictures, there's stability in health, plantedness, fruitfulness. Because God has planted them in the house of the Lord. In other words, they're in his presence for his worship. And they bear fruit even in old age. However long they live, they bear fruit. Not perfectly, not always consistently, but genuinely, and on the whole, progressively. They're full of sap and green. Now that doesn't mean that they always have it easy. These verses aren't promising health, wealth, and prosperity. This is a description of their souls before God. This is their spiritual condition. So even if there's trouble in this world, there is plantedness in vitality before their God. Even if their bodies are wasting away, well, their souls are full of sap and green Even when it feels like things are shaky, it's rock solid. Even when they feel like they are shaky, it is God who upholds them. It's like the blessed man of Psalm 1, where the Lord is his shepherd and is with him 
and leads him into green pastures and all that even when he finds himself in the valley of the shadow of death. In Psalm 1, God prepares a banquet table even in the presence of his enemies. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are transient, so the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's our outlook as Christians, because as Paul said earlier in that chapter, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay, these bodies, they're fragile, they're earthen, they're dry at times and leaky at others. And what's this treasure that we've been given in these jars of clay? The gospel, the good news. The good news that King Jesus died in our place to give us eternal life. And he was raised on the third day. And that cross and resurrection is how God's steadfast love was actually achieved for us. The steadfast love that was described in Exodus 34 and praised in Psalms like 92, well, it anticipated something to come. Old Testament saints awaited what it was. It's as if God allowed for an IOU to be placed over their salvation in those Old Testament years. But now that Christ has come, died on the cross for sins, was raised on the third day, and now lives forevermore, we New Testament Christians, we, we see that, we know that, we believe it. It's what we're banking on. And we also know that even in those Old Testament days, there were all kinds of hints and clues and foreshadows and promises that something big was coming. And the best hint we have in our psalm is verse 10. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Now sometimes horn can just be a symbol of strength. And oil can be just a symbol of refreshment and blessing. But horn and oil talked about in close proximity like this? Well, that's usually referring to a royal anointing, a kingly appointment. You see it in David's anointing in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, fill your horn with oil. A horn emptied out, hollowed out, filled with oil, and that would be poured that day on the young David because he was later to be king. So rather than personalize verse 10, we probably should remember God's many promises of a coming king and how horn and oil usually go 
together in a king's anointing. Genesis 49 promised that a ruler one day would come from the line of Judah and the obedience of the nations would be his, a significant ruler. And for a time, King David was that kind of anointed, used of God for the salvation and blessing and righteous rule of God's people. But he wasn't perfect, and he wouldn't live forever. And so it's from David's offspring that there comes a final king, the true king, the one we've all been waiting for, fully God and fully man. And he was utterly and fully anointed by God to do what no other king could do or has done. He was so exalted by God like no other king has before or since. And so he rather uniquely can say to his father, you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Jesus is now installed as this world's king, this world's judge, and this world's savior. And he enacts and accomplishes all that Psalm 92 warns you about and celebrates. So it's in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, as I said, where God's steadfast love has been accomplished. It's the basis for that covenantal love applied to us. It's where God's faithfulness has been most fully demonstrated. It is the greatest of all his works. It is the deepest of all his thoughts. And so it is the greatest reason for your praise. It's where judgment and salvation meet. As one old hymn put it, it's where justice and mercy kiss. But if you refuse to understand that, if you foolishly reject that, if you reject him, there's trouble ahead. So what's it going to be for you? you got to know that there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those in, those out. There are only two eternal destinies. Heaven and hell. There are only two ways in which you might relate to God. For or against. You may not like those stark black and white terms, but that won't change those terms. And so I appeal to you, if you're not yet a Christian, come to Jesus today. Be saved. Put your faith, your trust in him. Come out from among foolishness. And I say that in all love, in all sincerity, knowing that every Christian was once on the other side. And by God's grace, he's given us eyes to see. He's shown us that he's good and glorious. His work is 
amazing, the steadfast love and faithfulness. They're, they're just perfect. That's what we need. Christian, why would God save us like this? Why would he do us good to this extent? Why would God promise such lofty things like verses 12 to 14? Well, the next verse tells us. Verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. We've been saved to declare. And so the psalm ends right where it began, with praise. This is fitting because it is what is most important. It is what is most important right now. His praise, who he is, what he's done, what he will do. To give God praise for all that is right and appropriate, beautiful, and pleasing. May that today make us glad. And if we're not glad yet, then may we sing for joy and pray that he restores unto us the joy of our salvation. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, that is our prayer. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Give us a fullness of joy in your glorious salvation. Or may we apprehend a little bit more, having spent time in Psalm 92 today, may we apprehend more who you are and what you've done and what we should do in light of it. And we pray it would come freely if it be your will. And perhaps it would come to some today for the very first time and they would join us in glad celebration of all your work, not least or even especially the cross and resurrection of Jesus, our Savior and Shepherd. We pray in his name. Amen. For our song of meditation and this new arrangement of Psalm 92, we're going to pick it up a bit. So parents, feel free to let your kids get up, move, stand if you must, even clap along as we give thanks to the Lord together. It is good to give you thanks, O Lord, and praise your name most high. To shout your steadfast love at dawn, your faithfulness by night. It is good to give you thanks, O Lord, and praise your name most high. To shout your steadfast love at dawn, your faithfulness by night. Joyful melody we raise on instruments of string For all the wondrous works you've made have made us gladly sing Great and mighty are your works, who can comprehend What tongue could tell your endless worth, what fool could understand It is good it is good to give you thanks, O Lord, and praise your name most high. And shout your steadfast love at dawn, your faithfulness by night. And 
Evildoers may flourish With you they can't contend And though we sprout like the grass The wicked needs his end And you, O oh Lord, alone abide And punish every sin Lord, count me not among your foes Though I was one of them it is good to give you thanks, O oh Lord, to praise your name most high, to shout your steadfast love at dawn, your faithfulness by night. You have lifted up my head and poured out on me your grace, for Christ became my sacrifice and suffered in my place. Conquered all my enemies when he rose from the grave. And soon he'll come in victory, his righteous saints to save. It is good to give you thanks, O oh Lord, and praise your name most high. To shout your steadfast love at dawn, your faithfulness by night. Righteous flourish like a tree that grows in God's own court. Now and ever bearing fruit, upheld by His support. By His Spirit in their hearts, He lives to give them life. He may always be their rock, and they declare Him right. It is good to give you thanks, O oh Lord, and praise your name most high. where we would clap to shout your steadfast love at dawn, your faithfulness by night. It is good, it is good to give you thanks, O oh Lord, and praise your name most high. To shout your steadfast love at dawn, your faithfulness by night. Whoo! That one's going to be a lot of fun. That one's going to be good when we can sing that one together with a congregation's voice and we can be accompanied by the band. That will be good. Well, he will come again in victory. So let us continue to exalt the name of our King Jesus. All hail. name let angels prostrate fall bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all bring forth the royal diadem and crown seed of Israel's race he ransomed from the fall hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Exalt the name, exalt the name of Jesus. 
Jesus, whose death and blood has freed us. His kingdom's reign will ever remain, and all will bow before the name. Jesus, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord of all to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord of all exalt the name of jesus whose death Lift your voice. Oh, that with all the sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Well, that heavenly throng and that everlasting song that we just sung about, we get that from Revelation 7, among other places. There we have a vision of heaven. Before the throne, there is a multitude which no man can number from every culture and language. And they serve him day and night, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. The lamb will be in the midst of them and will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And this multitude will say with a loud voice, with palm branches in their hands, clothed in white robes, they will say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels will stand around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they will all fall on their faces before the throne and worship God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Christians, that's what awaits us. That's what's coming. That's what is sure. That's what we'll do. And in the meantime, let's do a little bit of it ourselves here now. Let's give ourselves to ponder God's works and thoughts, to praise him for what he's done and who he is, for it to produce pleasure within us and may it be pleasing to him and may we seek even this week as he gives opportunity seek to propagate that in this world that so desperately needs him well we pray for you this week we pray that that would be your mission your focus that god would indeed be your god 
your joy and your focus in worship. May it be so.